0: Ah, Christmas is a great time of year, isn't it not? Doesn't the sanctuary look great when it's uh, decorated for Christmas? Thank all the people who uh, came out and did that the other night. Uh, This year, as we approach Christmas together, uh, we're focused on that name that was given to Jesus uh, way back in Isaiah, chapter 7, the name Emmanuel, like we just sang uh, this morning. And Emmanuel means God with us, God with us. And so... Um, this Christmas, we're focusing on the fact that part of the reason that Jesus came at Christmas time is so that we could know God, so that we could know what God is like, so that we could know, you know, who God really is. Emmanuel was Jesus' name, which means um, God with us. In John chapter one and verse eighteen, the Bible comes right out and says, "Listen, nobody has ever seen God." John chapter one, verse eighteen: No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. He has made him known. Who is the God that's at the Father's side? It's Jesus, right? He has made him known. And so Christians uh, live their lives more by faith than by sight. Nobody's ever seen God. But our faith in Jesus Christ opens up our understanding of who God is. Jesus is Emmanuel. He came to reveal God. And it's clear in the Bible that some claims are made about Jesus that no other religion dares to claim about anybody. Just in this name alone, in his name, Emmanuel, Isaiah 7, 14 is where that name begins to show up. And Matthew talks about it again in Matthew chapter 1. But um, just that name alone, Emmanuel, God with us, that name makes the claim that Jesus is God in the flesh who is with us. Just that name uh, assigned to him. And so the Bible goes on to make lots of claims about Jesus that again, no other religion uh, ever uh, makes about anybody. And so last week we started off and we said, you know, the first thing that Jesus teaches us about God is that he's the God who is there. He's there, he's not distant. He's not aloof, he's not far away, he's there, he's right there, and if you weren't here last week, I'd encourage you to just pick up a CD. Um, He wants, not only is he there, but he wants us to know that he wants us to be close to him, that he's a personal God, he's not just there, but he desires, actually we saw, to be our friend. And so I try to pose the question, would you think of God as your best friend? Do you think of God as your best friend? You might ask the question a different way and just say do I have any friend who does for me what God does for me? He's my best friend. Uh, He's for me, he's not against me and, and so on. Well this morning I'd like to suggest to you that Jesus secondly reveals to us a sovereign God or a God who is in control. A God who is in control, a sovereign God, a God who has supreme power. There is nobody above him Uh, He is unequaled. He's in control. Uh, He's the God of power. Psalm 115 verse 3 says this. Our God is in the heavens and he does all that he pleases. Our God is in the heavens and he does all that he pleases. Psalm 135 verse 6. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and on earth. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does. There's nobody who can stop him. There's nobody who's above him. There's no authority that's higher than him. There is no power greater than God's power. There is nobody and nothing. There's not a power struggle going on between God and Satan, and we have to wait to see who's going to win. God has revealed his plans in the Bible. We know what's going to happen. A third of the Bible, when it was written, was prophetic. Talked about future events at the time that it was written. A third of God's word. And uh, I believe that God did that so that it could reveal for us uh, what's going to happen before it happens, that we might put our confidence in God's word, that we might have complete confidence in what God says, and that He is able, He is powerful enough to be able to do what His word says. I think that sometimes when we watch the news and we think about our world, if you think about the ISIS crisis or the Uh, Islamic State crisis that's going on you know, in Syria and then over in that part of the world, and you think about the beheadings, you think about the killings, you think about the massive numbers of refugees uh, who are being displaced by all of this, and you think, it seems like things are out of control. Then you think about our own country, and you think about uh, the riots, you think about the killings uh, that have gone on recently, you think about the shootings, you think about Sandy Hook right up the street from us. you say, man, it sure seems like things are out of control. Then maybe you think about your own family, and you think, oh my goodness, things are out of control, right? And and then you think about your own life, and you say, you know, there's so much chaos and so much confusion and so much complexity uh, that we wonder sometimes, you know, is anybody really in control? And I'm here to tell you this morning that Jesus reveals a God who is in control control the um what happens is that when we feel like things are out of control it leads to fear right and um fear you know the the single most repeated command in the bible is fear not (laughs) fear not fear is never your friend fear is never your friend fear not is what god says i'm in control i'm in control Fear not. And add to that the notion that a lot of people have that, you know, whatever happens in my life is the uh, fault of somebody else or circumstances that have come my way. It's beyond my control. I can't do anything about it. And the conclusion is, you know, I'm powerless. Poor me. I can't do anything about the situations that I find my life wrapped up in and so forth, which then leads to more discouragement and deflates any possibility of hope. And then Christmas comes. And Jesus comes and reveals a God who's in control. A God who has power greater than any other power that exists. And he comes for you and me. And so I wonder sometimes, you know, how does this power connect to us? God himself enters into the stream of humanity in the person of Christ. Emmanuel is here and after 400 years of silence between the Old Testament and the New Testament in the fullness of time... God shows that he's still in control. He's still on his game plan. He's still doing what he said he would do back in Genesis chapter 3 when he said he was going to send somebody. And it's not so much all of a sudden we realize it's not so much what happens to us in life that matters as what happens in us as where we put our faith and where we put our confidence and who we know and and so on. And God offers us this new life in Jesus. And so instead of feeling powerless, God offers us a life that's plugged into himself, a life that's attached, a life that's connected um, to him, a life that's yoked to the person of Jesus, as we spoke about last week. And the Apostle Paul uh, writes to young Timothy about this life that God has offered us. And in first, Second Timothy chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, we read these words. Paul says, you know, for this reason, I remind you, young Timothy, to fan into a flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying out of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear but of power and of love and of self-control. What kind of spirit does God put in us? Not a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and of love and of self-control, you know. And so this spirit that comes from God, lots of times, you know, I think life is tough and we feel pretty powerless in in the face of our problems. And we know that God has power, you know, that he's displayed in creation. We all say, oh yeah, God's power, you know, created everything. And, and we know that, um, you know, God's power is uh, expressed in nature. We see these programs and we were fascinated by the power of God. And we know that God's power works salvation 2,000 years ago on the cross for us. And, and we're hoping that God's power shows up after we die to bring us back like he brought Jesus back uh, so that we can live on the other side of this life and, and so on and so forth. But Where is God's power when it comes to my everyday living? Where is God's power to say no to sin? Where is God's power to say yes to the opportunities that God puts in front of me to uh, be involved in building the kingdom of God? Uh, Where is God's power to control my anger? Where is God's power when it comes to overcoming anxiety? Where is God's power? How does God's power show up when it comes to, you know, the ability to make wise decisions? Where's God's power when I need to control my tongue or uh, find a spouse or look for a job or solve a financial issue or uh, forgive an offense? Where is the power of God? And how does the power of God show up in our life? God's power is limitless. And God wants to share his power with us. And he has plenty to spare, right? Um, haven't you ever prayed and asked God, you know, to do something, and then sensed the Holy Spirit saying right back to you, "You do it. Go for it. I'll empower you. I'll give you the words to say. I'll give you the courage you need. I'll give you the uh, strength to go first and initiate the conversation. You go do that. You know." And we're like, "Wait a minute! I just asked you to do that. That's a trick." what are you doing? Turn it right around on me. God's like, I'll empower you. I want to do it as much as you do. I'm going to do it through you, you know? Um, and heaven, that happens a lot, right? And, and I'll give you the power that you need. Uh, for God has uh, given us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. Or discipline, as some translations have it. Uh, Once God's spirit gets into us, you know, God's power is more available to us than ever before. Uh, When Paul wrote to the Ephesian church in the first chapter of Ephesians, he said, you know, I'm praying for you, people, that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened so that you could know what is the hope to which God has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us? How great is the power of God toward us? And look, I'll tell you how great it is. According to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places, far above all rule, all authority, all power, all dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the age to come, and so on and so forth. The power that God wants to grant to us is the same power that brought Jesus back from the dead. If you go on to read in the book of Hebrews, even uh, Hebrews said, you know, some people are held by the fear of death their whole life. And, uh, but God came in the person of Christ to set us free from that fear, even of death, our last enemy, so that we can face it face to face and not be intimidated and not fear, but have confidence in the promises of God. And so, you know, uh, if you think that you have it tough, and you think, oh, my goodness, my problems are so big that even God can't help me. Um, Jeremiah, I want to give an illustration of this like we talked last week, but this week Jeremiah, he just, uh, I, don't, I don't, every time I have a bad day, not every time, but often when I have a bad day, I'll turn to Jeremiah because I feel like I've never had as bad a day as Jeremiah had. And it's an encouragement to me. And poor Jeremiah here, I mean, In Jeremiah chapter 1, we read these words, Jeremiah was chosen for this horrible job by God before he was even born. I mean, he didn't even have a choice. And his job was to go around to the Jewish people and tell them how angry God was at them for what what they were doing and how if they didn't repent, God was going to judge them and they're going to go into captivity and they're going to be obliterated by Babylon and so forth. And so it says in verse 4, now the word of the Lord came to me saying, look, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. That's really a cool thought, isn't it? Last week, we were in the 139th Psalm, which talks about the same kind of thing, that uh, God forms us in the womb. I mean, he's more involved in our life than we think. And so here, uh, old Jeremiah, he's like, you know, God says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. Like I had a job for you, right? And uh, I appointed you a prophet to the nations. And then I said, ah, Lord God, behold, you know, I don't know how to speak. I'm only a kid don't ever say that, kids. Nehemiah said the same thing, and, and uh, look what God says. Don't say I'm only a youth. Don't say I'm just a kid. Uh, for to all to whom I send you, you shall go, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Don't be afraid of them. I am with you to deliver you. And old Jeremiah's like, you know, all right. So he goes off, and he starts, you know, doing, saying what God has him to say, and and eventually you get to chapter 20, Jeremiah chapter 20. And Jeremiah's had enough. Jeremiah's older now, and uh, he's done what God's asked him to do, but he's really, he, he's like, you know, not having a good life. And uh, he wakes up one day, and uh, look what he says. He says to the Lord in verse 7 of Jeremiah chapter 20, Oh, Lord, you deceived me. You tricked me. <laughs> you told me this was going to be good, and I was going to serve you, and you're going to deliver me, but man, I'm taking some big shots. I'm taking some major hits here i really have major problems you know oh lord you deceived me and i was deceived you're stronger than i am and you have prevailed and i've become a laughing stock all day long everybody mocks me i hate being jeremiah i really don't like being jeremiah anymore you know i mean just think about this he's been doing this for years and he's tired of it he's just tired of it right And so everybody's laughing at him, everybody mocks him. He says, for whenever I speak, I cry out, I shout violence and destruction, for the word of the Lord has become for me a reproach and derision all day long. It really stinks to have to stand up and and say what you want me to say. And I would say that any of us, if we want to have a little experience like Jeremiah, just go around and talk about the real meaning of Christmas for the next couple of weeks. And just say, you know, hey, this thing really is about my Savior and this thing, this Christmas is about uh, God sending somebody into the world to offset my sins and to qualify me for heaven. And I believe I'm going to live forever on the other side of this life. And Jesus took my sins on the cross and I'm so excited about Christmas. That's what it's all about. And, you know, I get annoyed with the Santa Claus thing and the wrong message of you got to be good because, guess what, nobody's good. And and it confuses the kids, and then you're telling them this is real, and then then you tell them about Jesus, and they think, well, Jesus is a myth, like Santa's a myth, and the whole thing is just, like, all convoluted. And Just stick up. That's what Jeremiah had to run around and do. And just stick up for the truth. And I think you'll have a similar experience to Jeremiah. So then he says, look, he says, you know what, I'm I'm so sick of this that in verse 9 he says... If I say, I'm not going to mention him anymore, I'm just not going to talk about God. I'll just keep quiet about it. I just won't be a witness. I'm just going to, I'm not going to mention him. I'm not going to speak anymore in his name. There is in my heart a burning fire, as it were, shut up in my bones, and I am weary with holding it in. I can't do it. I can't not speak. If you've ever tried that, you just say, you know what, I'm taking too many hits. I'm just going to shut down. I'll just, you know, be uh, in the shadows. I'm just not gonna say anything. I'm just not gonna pray very forcefully when the relatives come over. I'm just not gonna stick up for God. I'll just be quiet. Do you, you have that experience like Jeremiah? Like there's like a fire in your bones. It's like, you know what? It's not right, I can't do this. I can't just be quiet. It's, there's something about, you know, what's going on here that the spirit of God is inside of me. And it's like a fire and I can't be quiet. Uh, and then he says in verse 10, for I hear many whispering, terrors on every side, denounce him. Let us denounce him. Listen to this. Say, all my close friends. Oh, Jeremiah, if that's what your close friends are saying, <laughs> what about the other people in your life? My close friends are saying, look what they're saying. They're watching for my fall. Perhaps he'll be deceived and then we can overcome him and take our revenge on him. That's his good friends. That's his close friends. Jeremiah's having a bad day, wouldn't you say? I mean, you know. And so, uh, and then he says, he kind of comes to his senses here. He's kind of ranting and venting. And and then he says, but the Lord is with me as a dreaded warrior. And therefore, I know that my persecutors are going to stumble. They're not going to overcome. They're not going to win. They're not going to take me down because God is with me. They will be greatly shamed, for they will not succeed. Their eternal dishonor will never be forgotten. O Lord of hosts, who tests the righteous and who sees the heart and the mind, let me see your vengeance upon them, for to you I have committed my cause. Jeremiah's like, yeah, well, when I think about it, I know that God's on my side, and I know that eventually they're not going to win. I don't need to fear them. I don't need to worry about them. You know, and then he, then he kind of says, uh, let's have a moment of worship here. All right, sing to the Lord. Sing praise to the Lord. For he has delivered the life of the needy from the hand of the evildoers and and so on and so forth. And then he snaps back into his uh, mood here and listen to what he says, verse 14. He said, oh man, cursed be the day I was born. You ever feel that bad? Cursed be the day I was born. He says, "The, the day when my mother bore me, let it not be blessed. Cursed be the guy who brought the news to my father, a son is born to you, making him very glad. Jeremiah is even cursing the, the guy who brought the box of cigars and said, hey, you got a son. You know. He's like, let him be cursed. You know. Let that man be like the cities that the Lord overthrew without pity. Let him hear a cry in the morning and an alarm at noon because he didn't kill me in the womb so my mother would have been my grave and her womb forever great. Why did I come forth from the womb to see toil and sorrow and spend my days in shame? Poor Jeremiah. When you have a bad day, go here and say, "Have I ever had that bad of a day?" It's always an encouragement to me, you know. And so, and then uh, Jeremiah is asked to give some more messages, and so he gives along, and you get all the way to chapter 32, and and God asks Jeremiah to buy a field. He says, "Take your money, your hard-earned money, and go buy a piece of real estate in this country that's being overtaken by the enemy." And Jeremiah's like, "Well, this doesn't. That'd be like God saying to you or me." take your savings and go to Syria and buy a piece of property. When you know the value is just going to go down, right? I mean, you just know the whole thing is falling apart. And so, and, and that's what God asked Jeremiah to do. And so he goes and he does it. And, um, but he, he then thinks about it and, and he prays. And in, uh, Jeremiah chapter 32, we have this prayer. And, uh, and I think about how he, you know, um, was asked to do this, and then he sits down and has this conversation with God. So Jeremiah 32, 16, after i had given the deed of the purchase of the property to Baruch, the son of Nera, I prayed to the Lord and I said, ah, Lord God, it is you who has made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. You're in control. You're the sovereign God. Nothing's too hard for you. You show steadfast love to thousands, but you repay the guilt of fathers to their children after them. O great and mighty God, whose name is the Lord of hosts, great in counsel, mighty indeed, whose eyes are open to all the ways of the children of man, rewarding each one according to his ways and according to the fruit of his deeds. You have shown signs and wonders in the land of Egypt and to this day in Israel among all mankind. And you made a name for yourself as at this day. You brought your people Israel out of the land of Egypt with signs and wonders and a strong hand and an outstretched arm and great terror. And you gave them this land which you swore to their fathers and uh, gave them a land flowing with milk and honey. And they entered and took possession of it, but they didn't obey your voice or walk in your law. They did nothing of all that you commanded them to do. And therefore you have made all of this disaster to come upon them. Behold, the siege mounts have come up Uh, to the city to take it, and because of the sword and the famine and the pestilence, the city is given over into the hands of the Chaldeans, uh, who we are fighting against. Uh, What you spoke has come to pass, and behold, you see it. Yet you, O Lord God, have said to me, buy the field for money and get witnesses, though the city is given into the hands of the Chaldeans. Like poor old Jeremiah, he's like, I don't get it, what are you doing to me? Now you're ruining me financially. You're asking me to do something that makes absolutely no sense financially, right? Well, verse 36 or 26. So the word of the Lord comes back to Jeremiah with an answer. Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too hard for me? Is anything too hard for me? Am I in control? Am I the sovereign God? Is anything too difficult for me? Therefore, thus says the Lord, behold, I'm giving this city into the hands of the Chaldeans and into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and he's going to capture it. And the Chaldeans uh, who are fighting against this city are going to set it on fire and so forth. Verse 31, this city has aroused my anger and wrath from the day it was built to this day so that I will remove it from my sight because of all of the evil, the children of Israel and the children of Judah that they did to provoke me to anger. Their kings, their officials, their priests, their prophets, the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, they have turned to me their back and not their face. I'm a God who desires to be close. I'm a God who desires to be friends. I'm a God who blesses. I want your face, not your back. I want to have a relationship with you. God is saying, I chose Israel to be my people and so forth. And though I have, listen to this, and though I have taught them persistently, they have not listened to receive instruction. Although I, God, myself, have taught them persistently. They refused to listen. They set up their abominations in the house that's called by my name to defile it. They built the high places of Baal in the valley of the son of Hinnan to offer up their sons and daughters to Moloch, though I did not command them, nor did it ever even enter my mind that they should do this abomination to cause Judah to sin. Now therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. Concerning this city of which you say it is given into the hand of the king of Babylon by sword, by famine, by pestilence, behold, I will gather them from all the countries to which I drove them in my anger and my wrath and in great indignation, I will bring them back to this place and I will make them to dwell in safety and they shall be my people and I will be their God. I will give them one heart, one way that they may fear me forever for their own good and for the good of their children after them. I will make them with an ever, I will make with them an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing good to them and I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn from me. I will rejoice in doing them good and I will plant them in this land in faithfulness with all my heart and with all my soul. Ha. Here's God saying, look, Jeremiah, you buy that piece of property because there is a day coming in the future when I get past all of this anger and scattering and so forth, that I'm gonna bring my people back. And I would suggest to you that 1948 was the beginning of the fulfillment of this prophecy. In 1948, when Israel was reconstituted as a state and the the Jewish people began to come back to Israel in 1948, if you think about that, um, Never in the history of the world has there been a nation that's been so destroyed, its people so shattered, the Jewish people so decimated by the Holocaust and so forth, uh, and then been reconstituted like Israel is today, like we have seen in our lifetime. Never has that. It's unprecedented. In fact, I I have a map that I've uh, Scotch-taped into the back of my Bible uh, that just shows, I don't know if you can see it, but... um, The little black dot here is Israel, and all the white are all the nations who've sworn to push Israel off the map and haven't been able to do it since 1948. You think about all the wars that have been fought and so on and so forth. Why? Why is that? It just seems so uh, illogical. I say it's because God made a promise to these people, and he's fulfilling that promise in our day. If you don't trust the word of God, you don't believe that God's word is trustworthy, that God has power uh, and that's bigger than whatever your problems happen to be, study the history of Israel in relationship to scripture and you'll see the strength and the power of God. All the wars that they've won that they shouldn't have won and so forth. If you doubt the power of God to be able to do what he promises, the history of Israel is a great contemporary example. It's a miracle, a miracle, a modern day miracle of our God that we've come here to worship. God has limitless power and he wants to share it with you. Uh, One other passage of scripture um, that I would just uh, call to your attention. I think it's a passage of scripture you're probably very familiar with, Isaiah chapter 40. Here's what the prophet Isaiah said. God gives power to the faint. God wants to share his power. God gives power to the faint and to or we would say to the humble. God gives power to the humble. And um, to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. God wants to share the power that he has. Uh, Last week we looked at Jesus in Matthew chapter 11 where he says, Come unto me and yoke yourself to me. Everybody who's burdened and everybody who's weary, everybody who feels powerless... Come to me, yoke yourself up to me, and I will share my strength, and I will share my power, and so on and so forth. And so uh, God is like, hey, I've got power to spare. And so my question is, you know, why are there so many wimpy Christians? Why are there so many Christians who say, oh, I wish I would be a better Christian, but I just don't have the power. Oh, I wish I'd be more forgiving. I wish I'd be more loving. I wish I'd be wiser. I wish I would be more instructed in God's ways and God's word and so on. And I wish this, and I wish, oh, I wish I was a better Christian. But I I don't have the power to change anything. And I try, and I just stay the same. I give it a shot. I take a shot at it. And, uh, you know, I I just, I stay the same. I wish I was a, a better Christian. And here's Jesus and Isaiah saying, look, plug into God. God has power to spare. And he will give you the power to make those changes. Uh, I learned a new song recently. And I told you I've been singing in the morning a little bit before the rest of my family wakes up and shuts me down. But anyway, in uh, learning these songs, I came across a song that was new to me. It's an old song. Uh, But the title of the song is this. uh, Prayer is the key to heaven. Prayer is the key to heaven, right? The key to power. Uh, But faith unlocks the door. Prayer is the key to heaven. Prayer gives us access to God and all of his power. But if, you, if that's the key and you have the key in your pocket and you never put it in the door and turn the lock, faith unlocks the door. Faith takes the key, puts it in the door, and unlocks the door to heaven and gives us access. to the- Prayer is the key to heaven, but faith unlocks the door. And that phrase arrested me, and I began to think about that a little bit. And um, prayer is what gives us access to the power of God, but having the key uh, to unlock the door um, doesn't really become effective until we use it. And we only use it when we have faith. Uh, Prayer is just words without faith. Until our words are connected to faith, the door stays closed. And I wanna suggest to you that faith is acting on what we believe. Faith is acting on what we believe and counting on the power of God to show up. Faith is acting on what we believe and counting on the power of God to show up. There's a whole book in the Bible, James, in the New Testament that simply says, you know, faith without action is dead. It's not the real deal. Faith without action, if your faith never shows up in the choices you make, the feelings you have, the the, um, thoughts that, you know, get influenced by the truth of God and so forth, faith without action, James says, is totally useless, which is a pretty serious thing because in Hebrews, you know what the Bible says? Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Without faith, without acting on what we believe and counting on the power of God to show up, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Well, no matter what we think we're doing, you know, it's impossible to please God without faith. And so God has made all kinds of promises to us. And when we believe him, uh, we mix that with action. And so let's say I get angry at somebody happens once in a while. And um, I realize that God wants me to forgive this person. But the truth be known, uh, I don't really want to forgive them. I want them to suffer a little while, you know. I want, them, I want them to hurt. I want them to feel bad. I want to be like Jeremiah. I want to pout for a little while, you know. Um, but I also believe that God wants me to forgive. But I don't really feel the power to do that. So I ask myself, okay, what, what would a forgiving person do in a situation like this? If I were to be a forgiving person, if I were to act on what I believe, uh, what would I do? And so then I go and do it. And lo and behold, the power shows up and changes me, changes me. All of a sudden, I feel good about what I did, even though I didn't feel like doing it or feel that I could do it, but I knew God wanted me to do it. And so I acted as if I was going to be a forgiving person. And all of a sudden, the power, it changes my heart and makes me forgiving on the inside. Have you ever had that experience? That's how it works. How do we get connected to this great source of power to transform us to be like Christ? We act on what we believe, and we count on the power to show up, and lo and behold, God's power shows up, and it does change us. God has enough power to overcome my anger, but when I refuse to act like a forgiving person, when I refuse to act on what I really believe, well, then God's power stays locked out. Prayer is the key to heaven, but faith unlocks the door. Faith is acting on what I believe, counting on God's power uh, to show up. Faith without action is dead. And so when I refuse to forgive, I realize that you know, I'm focusing more on what's been done to me than what's been done for me by Jesus. I'm living more by sight than I am by faith. You know, the Bible says that a Christian is a person who lives by faith, not by sight. Nobody has seen God. We live by faith. We live, we actually live by faith. I wonder, like, what percentage of my everyday living is based on faith versus based on sight? How often do we just see whatever we see, perceive what we perceive, make our decisions and so forth, and don't stop to say, well, wait a minute, Uh, if I were to act on what I believe here, on my faith, I would see this situation probably differently. I might bump into somebody I really don't like, you know, but if I would see that person from a faith perspective as somebody that Christ died for and that God loves and that God created and that God has a plan for, all of a sudden, I change. Because my faith says, I know that that's somebody God created. I know that somebody God loves. I know that that's somebody God cares about. But regardless of what their sin is, what their condition is, what their problem is, my faith kicks in. All of a sudden, I act totally different toward that person than just what I perceive by sight, right? Somebody said the difference between moralism, part of the problem with Christianity in our world today, not being a stronger witness, is you know, we have moralism, which just pronounces what's wrong all over the place. The difference between moralism and compassion is that compassion says, that's wrong, and I'll get involved to change it. Moralism just says, that's wrong. You're wrong. Get lost. I'm with God, and I'm right, and you're wrong. You get lost. Anybody can do moralism, right? I mean, we have the Bible, we know what's right and wrong. But compassion, what Jesus had when he came into the world and put his life on the cross was that's wrong, but I'm here to fix it. I'm here to get involved. I'm here to put my life down for you and so on. And then he says, come on, follow me. And so acting on what we believe and counting on the power of God to show up, faith believes to the point of acting on something we know God wants to happen And uh, the Bible says faith then becomes the assurance of the things that are hoped for based on the promises of God. Faith is so certain, we're so certain of God and his promises that faith acts before we can see it. Uh, We live by faith, not by sight. And so Jeremiah buys the real estate, right? And then God comes and says, look, in time, I'm going to get this land back and people are going to buy and sell again and so on and so forth. And so uh, God desires for you and me uh, to be a more loving person. God desires for you and me probably to be a more generous person, a more joyful person, a more patient person, a more witnessing person, a more worshiping person. How am I going to do it? Maybe you've taken a stab at it. Maybe you know that. I know that God wants me to be these things, you know, and uh, I've tried, but, you know, it doesn't happen. And so ask yourself, well, well, how would a more forgiving person act? And then go act that way on the basis of your faith. How would a more generous person act? Well, go act that way. And see if God's power doesn't show up to actually change us. How would a, a, a more worshiping person act? Well, go do it. And see if God's power doesn't change you into a, more of a worshiper. When we change our perspective from what we see to what we believe, we begin to trade our weakness for God's power. When we trade our perspective from what we see to what we believe, we begin to trade our weaknesses for God's power um, and so on. Well, God has out throughout history demonstrated that he is supremely trustworthy. He is all-powerful. There is nobody beggar. He's trustworthy. You can trust him. And when you act on the basis of what he's promised, you can expect his power to show up to transform your life. He is the God who is in control. He's trustworthy. Act on the basis of his promises and watch the power of God change your life and enjoy it. You know It's what's our birthright, if you will. Let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that we can know the true God who's really there and who's all-powerful. It's such a comfort, Father. So much is, uh, you know, uh, shaking loose in the world. And if we try to find our security and and power in the world, we know that everything's up for grabs, including our own life. Eventually, we all die. And so when we turn to you, however, uh, all of a sudden, there's somebody that we can totally trust somebody who satisfies us in every way, somebody who meets all of the needs that we have. And it's such a great comfort to be able to know that you're the God of power, that there is nothing higher, nothing stronger, nothing that will ever put you off your game plan, and that we can just rest, and we can find peace like we read about from your word, the peace that Jesus came to give, and that out of that place of love and out of that place of peace, we can be witnesses for you that others might come into the kingdom and enjoy the privileges Jesus came and won for us. And we pray it in his name. Amen. Amen.